If you recall Sunday's homily, this past Sunday, of course you don't, but indulge me by not saying so, you won't be surprised to hear that I've been drawn lately to St. Joseph and his story. Last week, and most of this one, I've been meditating on his portrayal in St. Matthew's Gospel, and tonight, thanks to Father Preston's reading, we've glimpsed him in another profile. In the first chapter, St. Luke identifies Joseph as Mary's betrothed and a descendant of David. And now, in light of tonight's reading, we see why that lineage matters. Caesar, Caesar Augustus, has called to have the whole known world, or at least all of his empire's subjects, registered, requiring every man to return to his ancestral home for a census. Joseph complies, although I have to assume he complained. He and his heavily pregnant wife-to-be launch out on what would have been at least half a week journey. This is the way Luke says it. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. Thursday, Thursday afternoon, as Julie and I and our not quite yet holy family, I don't want to say unholy family, but I also do not want to say holy family, drove down to my parents' house, I found myself thinking about the truly holy family. And a question, a new question, flashed in my mind. So that night, after we had arrived and greeted everyone and shared a meal, ready to prepare, I wrote a little prayer to St. Joseph, which you won't have to be terribly discerning to recognize as a thinly disguised cry for help. This is the prayer I wrote. When you made your way back to your clan, your Mary already thick with child, I wonder what weighed on you? St. Luke, nothing if not sure of his work, says Caesar decreed all the world should be polled, every man returning to be registered in his ancestral home, a policy so insane only a man convinced he's a god would be big-headed enough to concoct it. But as you neared the city, no little town for you, I doubt you gave any of that any thought. Nothing is as taxing as family, I know. But that anxiety can't be what silenced you. There's more to the prayer, but for now, let's stay with that. You might not have noticed, you might have, but it's true in either way. In St. Luke's nativity story, Joseph never says a word. The same is true of St. Matthew's nativity. In fact, believe it or not, so far as scripture is concerned, Joseph never says anything to anyone. He never says a mumbling word. Why? This is the question that comes to me when I'm driving down to see my family. What, what silenced him? More to the point, what does his silence mean for us? What does God mean for his silence to mean to us? How does his not speaking speak? We call St. Joseph a saint for a reason. Listen to how he's honored in the litany of St. Joseph. 
St. Joseph, renowned offspring of David, light of patriarchs, spouse of the mother of God, chaste guardian of the virgin, foster father of the son of God, diligent protector of Christ, head of the holy family, Joseph most just, Joseph most chaste, Joseph most prudent, Joseph most strong, Joseph most obedient, Joseph most faithful, mirror of patience, lover of poverty, model of artisans, glory of home life, guardian of virgins, pillar of families, solace of the wretched, hope of the sick, patron of the dying, terror of demons. Now that, that's an honorific worth living toward. Protector of the Holy Church, pray for us. Of all the figures in the opening characters, uh, all of the figures in the opening chapters of St. Luke's drama, Zachariah, Elizabeth, Mary, Simeon, Anna, Jesus, and John, Joseph is far and away the least defined. In fact, we literally know more about Gabriel than we know about Joseph. And if in the third gospel, Luke's gospel, he's a flat character, in the first gospel, he's hardly more than a silhouette. So we have to ask, how does this quiet, compliant, unobtrusive dreamer get to be known as solace of the wretched and terror of demons. His death is not even mentioned in scripture. Not only does he not speak, his death is not spoken of. How is he then known as the patron of the dying? About 700 years ago tonight, somewhere in Southwest Germany, a popular preacher, a Dominican monk and mystic, opened his sermon with these words. Here in time we make holiday because the eternal birth which God the Father bore and bears unceasingly in eternity is now born in time, in us. St. Augustine says this birth is always happening, but if it does not happen in me, what does it matter? What matters is that it does happen in me. In that sermon, Eckhart never mentions Joseph, and that's not surprising really. St. Joseph rarely appears in any Christmas sermons. His wife and her son are front and center. But here's what I've realized in the last couple of weeks and days. Joseph is happy to be a relatively minor figure, a supporting character, because his support is vital. Without Joseph's silence, Mary could not have borne the word and the word silence would mean nothing to us. Without Joseph's dreams, Mary and her boy would not have lived the lives or died the deaths they were purposed to die and live. Without his simple obedience, Mary would not have been where she needed to be when she needed to be there, and you and I would not be here now. And this, I think, is what the Spirit is saying to us, at least to me, support is vital. We too can be the terror of demons and the solace of the wretched if only we know how to hold our peace. There was no room for them in the inn, but Joseph knew how to hold his peace, how to possess his body in such a way that there was room for them in his life and there can be room for all those who are heavenly burdened and in need of rest in our lives. 
if we follow his lead. Amen.